We're in a sermon series entitled, Obey Everything, and I want to start off talking about Branch Rickey. Now, you may or may not know, in 1945, Branch Rickey was the flamboyant president of the Brooklyn Dodgers professional baseball team, and he was a Bible-quoting, cigar-smoking, devout Christian, and he had a goal. He wanted to integrate Major League Baseball. He knew that he not only had to find an outstanding athlete, he had to find an outstanding human being. And he found that person in the form of Jackie Robinson. Now, Jackie Robinson was a world-class athlete in college. He was the first student in the history of UCLA to have a varsity letter in four different sports, football, basketball, baseball, and track. And not only was he an outstanding athlete, he was a devout Christian who did not smoke or drink. And so on August 8, 1945, Branch Rickey invited Robinson to his office, and they met, and they talked. And he told him what his vision was. And Robinson said it took him a while before he believed that Rickey was actually seriously making him an offer to play baseball for the Dodgers. But he agreed. And uh, in the process of that discussion, Branch Rickey had harangued Jackie Robinson for like three hours. He was play-acting the kind of opposition that he might experience and hurling racial epithets at him. And finally, Robinson said, Mr. Ricky, are you looking for a man who's afraid to fight back? And Ricky responded, no, I'm looking for a man who has the guts not to fight back. And so after several long moments of silence, Robinson said, Mr. Ricky, if you're willing to take this gamble, I think that I can play baseball in Brooklyn, and I can promise you there will be no incident. And that's what happened, and Robinson was a man of his word. In those first critical years, there were no incidents. He practiced extraordinary personal restraint. Well, Jesus' command to practice restraint is what we want to talk about today, obey everything. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches and commands that we are to exercise restraint. Well, let's get that passage before us. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, Jesus says, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Now, how I want to approach this today, I want to, let's flesh this out using the example of King David from the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus, one of his titles was Son of David because King David was his ancestor, the greatest king that Israel had ever known. But on the worst day of David's life, he had an opportunity to exercise restraint. The worst day of his life happened when he was leaving. He was leaving in exile his own kingdom. He and his administration, most of the army, were fleeing the capital city of Jerusalem. And the reason was one of David's own sons, Absalom, was leading an armed revolt against his father, David. And so they chased them out of Jerusalem. David's worst day, but his worst day was about to get worser still. So let's take a look at what happened. We're going to approach this in three different sections and the first one is a profile of a slapper. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5. We read, As King David approached Baharim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, 
son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. All right, this guy Shimei, he's our slapper today. Now, who is he? He's from the clan of Saul, same clan as Saul. If you know the backstory here, Saul is the first king of Israel. David's the second king of Israel. So David takes Saul's place after Saul dies. Well, for some reason, Shimei blames David or uh, blames David for Saul's demise. And he holds a grudge against him for that. And that's why he's cursing David, even though in truth, David had nothing to do with the fall of Saul. In fact, there were many times when Saul was actually persecuting David. And David had the opportunity to lift his hand against Saul, to retaliate against Saul, even to kill Saul. But he never would. He never would touch him. He always exercised restraint in those circumstances. But even though that's true, Shimei is still unjustly blaming David. And he's cursing and insulting him. So we'll just let him represent our slapper today. Why? There are people out there who are hostile. Sometimes they may, You may experience this. They may be hostile toward you. They may be degrading toward you, demeaning toward you. They may insult you from time to time. Why do people do that? Why are people cruel towards other people? There are probably a lot of answers to that question. Part of it has to do with our sinful nature. If we give in our sinful nature, we can all play that role from time to time. But we want to understand to the degree that it's possible where people are coming from. Those who consider us their enemies, it's often value, valuable to understand their perspective, to walk in their shoes, so to speak. I'm not saying that that justifies anyone's sinful behavior. There have been lots of people who've grown up in dysfunctional families and disadvantaged in various ways, and they do not use that as an excuse for sinful behavior toward other people. And it is not an excuse. But nevertheless, understanding where someone else is coming from is not justifying their behavior. It can be a step toward building a bridge and practicing the command we're talking about today, turning the other cheek and exercising restraint. Certainly seemed to be the case with David. David knew all about Shimei. He knew why he was doing what he was doing, where he was coming from. Maybe that helped him to practice restraint. Longfellow wrote, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. And Mark Twain said, to understand your enemy, try walking a mile in his shoes. That way, if he's still your enemy, you're a mile away and he has no shoes. Okay, so that's the profile of a slapper. Secondly, let's look at the anatomy of a slap. What are we talking about when Jesus says, turn the other cheek? What was Shimei actually doing here? Let's continue. 2 Samuel 16, 6. Shimei pelted David. He pelted him and all the king's officials with stones. Though all the troops and special guard were on David's right and his left. And as he cursed, Shimei said, get out, get out. You man of blood, you scoundrel, the Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son, Absalom, and you have come to ruin because you are a man of blood. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. Now, the point that I want to make here, I think this is very important, is that what Shimei was doing to David uh, was not life-threatening. 
There was no mortal danger here for David. For one thing, there's quite a distance that separates David from Shimei. David's along the road, the highway. Shimei's on a hillside. There's a big gap there. So even though Shimei is throwing some stones, even if one of those stones hits David, it's going to hurt, but it's not going to kill him. So it's not mortal danger that we're talking about. It's insult. It's wounded pride. What Shimei is doing is publicly humiliating, shaming, and insulting David. And this is important because I believe this is what Jesus is talking about as well when he says, turn the other cheek. Now again, that verse reads, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. There's two ways to look at that. One is that a Christian, if we're going to follow Jesus and turn the other cheek, a Christian is never to use, never under any circumstances, force toward another human being. This is called pacifism, Christian pacifism. And those who believe that, those Christians, they don't serve in the military, they they wouldn't be a police officer, and they wouldn't even use force in self-defense or in the defense of their families in a life-threatening situation. That's Christian pacifism. It's not a majority view. But there are many authentic Christians who believe that, hold to that, and practice that. But there's another way to interpret this and to look at it. And that is that Jesus was dealing not with life-threatening violence, but with a personal insult. It's the idea you do have the right to defend yourself. Okay, so let's just say that. And this is my personal view. In fact, I've written a book. Did you know that? It's called Stand Your Ground. The Biblical Foundation to Self-Defense, just a little 50-page book that establishes that biblically and even in Jesus' own example. I believe you have the right to defend yourself. But having said that, sometimes we preachers are in such a hurry to, to make that point, you can still defend yourself, that we miss the main point that Jesus is making in his teaching. And the main point is this. If somebody insults us, we are not to escalate and to retaliate. Now, if you think about it, if somebody was standing right in front of me and the average person is right-handed, and if they were to slap me on my right cheek, well, they're going to have to backhand slap me. Being a right-handed person, it would be a backhanded slap. And in that culture, in that day and age, as in most cultures and even today, a backhanded slap is not really meant for physical harm against another person as much as to humiliate them or to insult them. So a lot of scholars believe this is what Jesus is talking about. We are in the realm, not of self-defense if your life is in danger, not government policy, not police policy, not national policy, but in interpersonal relationships. If someone is to insult us, then we're to have a thick skin. And we simply will not retaliate. We're not going to slap them back. We're not going to escalate the situation. That Jesus here was correcting the misuse and the misapplication of Old Testament law by the Pharisees in that day and time, as he did in so much of the Sermon on the Mount. We saw this with murder. We saw it with adultery. We saw it with oath-taking. And now we see it with the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth law. So all I'm, I'm just saying here, in the anatomy of a slap, of what we're talking about is in the realm of personal insult that people may do to us from time to time. And then thirdly and finally, this third section, call this the reaction of the slappy. Okay, the reaction of the slappy. So we've got the profile of the slapper, we've got the anatomy of the slap, and now the reaction of the slappy. And we get these verses before us, and we're going to see uh, two contrasting reactions. Back to chapter 16, verse 9. 
Then Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. But the king said, What do you and I have in common, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing because the Lord said to him, Curse David, who can ask, Why do you do this? And David then said to Abishai and all of his officials, My son, my own flesh is trying to take my life. How much more this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord has told him to. He said, It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing that I am receiving today. All right, so you note these two contrasting reactions. First, you have the reaction of Abishai, David's personal bodyguard. I call him Abishai ben Rambo. He's got the Rambo reaction. He wants to go over there and take care of business. David, who does this guy think he's talking to? Is he talking to you? Is he talking to me? Just let me go over there and cut off his head. Please, David, let me cut off his head. I promise you, if his head is separated from his shoulders, he won't be able to insult you anymore. And we can kind of relate to a reaction like that, can't we? But doesn't that resonate with us on some level? Somebody insults you, don't you sometimes wish you had a snappy comeback, go right at them? I heard a story about uh, uh, at a baseball game, there was these three nuns, they were in the stands back when you could actually attend a baseball game. There was these three nuns, and the, the guys who were sitting behind them couldn't see because the habits that the nuns wear were blocking their, their view. And so they started making sarcastic remarks, and the one guy says, you know, I think I'm going to move to Arkansas. There's only 50 nuns in all of Arkansas. And then another guy said, you know, I'm going to move to Idaho. There's only like 25 nuns in all of Idaho. And then the third guy said, yeah, I'm going to move to Utah. There's only like 10 nuns in all of Utah. Finally, the mother superior turned around and looked at him and said, why don't y'all move to hell? There's no nuns in hell. And I didn't say that, but the mother superior said that. And, said, and so we think, yeah, way to go to mother superior. Give it to them. We like that. That satisfies us on a visceral level. I can never seem to think of a comeback like that until hours later. But, uh, you know, we want to hit back. This is, I grew up with Rambo. I grew up with Clint Eastwood. I grew up with John Wayne. This is what a manly man does. Doesn't let anybody walk on them or insult their honor. But this is not the reaction that Jesus is teaching. So that's reaction number one. Let's call that the Rambo reaction. Tim Larkin says this. Now, do we have a picture? I think I have a picture of you. All right, look at this guy. This guy's a very intimidating looking guy. His name is Tim Larkin. He's got a company called TFT, and he teaches, he teaches civilians self-defense. But he also instructs special forces. He instructs SEALs. He instructs Rangers on the use of violence and to defend oneself. But in, as intimidating as he looks, though, Tim Larkin is practically a pacifist. He will not engage with another person, even if he is insulted by that person or his family is insulted, because he refuses to use violence in any situation unless it is absolutely life-threatening. Listen to what he wrote in this book. He said, personally, I've found I'm much more likely to capitulate and disengage by leaving the area without a word when confronted by someone with an obvious chip on their shoulder who has chosen me as the knockoff guy. Everybody wins. I sleep well, and he doesn't get a broken leg just because he was having a bad day. I find that I'm possessed of a saint-like patience these days. 
somewhere, somehow, I developed the habit of giving pretty much everyone the benefit of the doubt. I do not begrudge those who are curt and prickly, their public anger and annoyance. I just figure there are extenuating circumstances that I'm not aware of, and I have no desire to be the next point on the downtrending curve of their bad day. I do my best to treat everyone with patience and respect. Tim Larkin said he would even leave a room, take his family and leave if he was insulted or a member of his family was insulted and look like a coward in the process rather than retaliate or escalate or introduce violence into a confrontation where it was not absolutely necessary to do so. See, the thing is, while that whole retaliation thing plays well in Hollywood and TV series and and movies and in books, and we like those movies and we like to read those books, and they're very satisfying on that visceral level, satisfies our sense of justice, it doesn't play well in real life. In real life, things seldom work out when we retaliate. Seldom, if ever. Things escalate. You just have to go home, look at, look at the headlines, look at the news on any given day. You're going to find a situation where people were at odds, nobody practiced restraint, the situation escalated, somebody got seriously maimed or killed. That's the way real life plays out. I tell you, Jesus' strategy here of turning the other cheek is absolutely brilliant and the most peaceful way to live life. And that's the, that's the second reaction. The contrasting reaction is the one that David has as contrasted to Abishai. David said, let him go. Leave it. This is just an insult. He can handle it. And he puts it in God's hands, and that's what we're called to do. He says, it may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I'm receiving today. Just leave it with God. David's son Solomon wrote in Proverbs 19, a man's wisdom gives him patience It is to his glory to overlook an offense. I came up with 10 reasons to practice restraint when we're insulted. 10 reasons to practice restraint. Number one, Jesus commanded restraint. Number two, Jesus practiced restraint, and he calls us to that example. Number three, restraint leaves room for God's vengeance and justice. Retaliation makes us the judge, jury, and executioner. Number four, restraint defuses. Number five, restraint joins us to Christ in the fellowship of his suffering and leads to further sanctification. Six, restraint is an act of faith. Retaliation is an act of doubt. Restraint is an act of love. Retaliation is an act of hate. Restraint is an act of humility. Retaliation is an act of pride. Restraint is the moral high ground. Retaliation joins the offender in the gutter. And number 10, restraint makes future evangelism possible, whereas retaliation closes the door to the gospel. Let me close here, getting back to Branch Rickey and Jackie Robinson. As Branch Rickey anticipated, the experiment to integrate Major League Baseball did not go smoothly. In his first 37 games, pitches hit Robinson six times. In the prior season, no player was hit more than six times in the entire 154-game schedule. There were death threats in some cities where the Dodgers played, including threats to shoot Robinson from the stands if he took the field. But he took the field, and he kept his word, and he made converts. Five players on the Dodgers team circulated a petition protesting the decision to hire Robinson. In time, all five players changed their minds and became supporters of Robinson. Millions of fans were converted 
to become supporters of Robinson and the decision as well. Would that have happened if each of those six times Robinson was hit with a pitch, he had charged the mound? Would that have happened if Robinson had returned insult for insult, curse for curse, blow for blow, slap for slap, eye for eye, two for two? We know the answer to that. It would not have happened. Robinson made converts, not just because of his outstanding play, but because of his spiritual character. Well, let's remember something. We're in the convert-making business as well. And we will be more effective making converts if we do and obey the command of Jesus. Turn the other cheek, practice restraint, and love our enemies. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. His teaching is wonderful, cuts to the heart as always, and it's the best way to live life. We pray for the courage and the strength to turn the other cheek and practice personal restraint in our lives. Keep the kingdom first and foremost in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen.